0: Some of you probably heard of Barna Research Group, they do polling and uh, they did this major study on people who weren't self-professing Christ followers, who weren't involved in a, in a church. Essentially, they were trying to find out what is your biggest reason or barrier to Christianity? You know, if you ever considered it and rejected it, or if you just walked away from it, what was the reason? Now you might think the number one reason was some intellectual barrier, right? Uh, People with questions that couldn't be answered. The number one reason was judgment. That churches, Christians are too judgmental. They look at us and feel, rightly or wrongly, that we are people who act morally superior who find fault with everybody else. You know, in the, in the minds of those from the outside looking in, Christians just seemed more interested in condemning people than helping people. Ouch. So let's say there's a, a single mom. She comes to a church looking for community and support, wanting to find God. Uh, maybe she's in her teen years and, and just had this baby. She's she's just trying to find her way through it all. She's not proud she got pregnant. It wasn't like it was her plan A for doing life. But it happened, and she's alone, and she's scared. So she turns to God's people for help. So what do you think most people outside of church think she's going to hear when she goes? Most people think, She'll be told, you shouldn't be a single mother. You shouldn't have had sex. You shouldn't have gotten pregnant. And pick any situation. They'll they'll expect that same kind of response. You shouldn't be an addict. You shouldn't be living together. You shouldn't have doubts. You shouldn't have gotten divorced. You know, you screwed up. Get it together. You had no business doing that. And as a result, you have no business being here. And when those same people are asked why they think that's the way churches are going to respond, the answer is often, not always, but often, it comes from firsthand experience, firsthand knowledge. They'll say, it happened to me. And and they've got stories like, like the people you watched in that video you just saw, rejected, shunned, Condemned, blamed, cast out, unloved, because of the way they looked, because of the, uh, of the things they did, because of the questions they asked, because of the mistakes they made, judged. And by the very people they hoped would help them and accept them, help them get back on their feet after falling down. People who call themselves followers of Christ. And it made them turn away and tune out. Do you know what the twisted irony in all of this is? The thing that many Christians are known for and have a reputation for, this, this judgmentalism. It's the very thing Jesus went on the war path against. He condemned it to the very core of his being over and over again. We're in a series on the most famous message uh, that Jesus ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been calling it, what if Jesus was serious? What, what if we treated his words as more than inspiring slogans on a Christian greeting card, but more like radical directives on how to live well? And, and so far we've looked at, at what Jesus had to say on everything from happiness to to making an impact with your life, from adultery to divorce, how to pray, how to overcome worry. And today he comes to this subject of judgment, or more specifically judgmentalism, and he, and, and he kind of camps out on it. And we're going to see a bit of Jesus's righteous anger, in fact. So let's just go through what he says, kind of verse by verse, section by section, because there's a lot of heavy stuff going on here. And he starts chapter seven, verse one, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Uh, A lot of people probably know the King James version, judge not lest ye be judged yourself. It turns out to be one of the most quoted verses in scripture by non-Christians, you know, that along with Genesis one twenty-nine, behold, I give you every seed bearing plant, the potheads love that verse. But let's talk first about what this verse does not mean. Okay. Because sometimes it gets misused. It gets misunderstood. It doesn't mean we can never make a value judgment. This isn't about never taking a stand. This isn't about being a moral relativist, you know? That, hey, if it feels good for you, if it's right for you, um, doesn't mean we're unable to see another's error or pretend not to see what is there, right? Doesn't mean we live in denial as if injustice weren't taking place. Doesn't mean mindless affirmation of whatever anyone says or does i think most of us would admit that doesn't make sense right like if someone came up to me and said i believe the best thing you can do for your laptop is to be sure to open every email attachment from a nigerian prince who's offering you um the millions he's left in his will and definitely send all your bank account information right away. And I'd be like, ah, uh, no, that's crazy talk. We're smarter than that. But that's not being judgmental, okay? It's not about checking your brains at the door, much less your, your moral compass or your values. It's not, um, it's not about never putting your arm around someone that you care about and cautioning them out of love and concern. Like A lot of times when people say, don't judge me, it's kind of code for don't you dare say anything that I do is wrong or bad in any way. But people who love each other sometimes have to say hard things to each other. Like if if someone can't see where they're walking and they're about to step off a cliff, it's not judgmental to say stop. It's not judgmental to tell someone reaching for contact lens solution that they're actually reaching for a bottle of bleach. There is a place for loving, helpful critique. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We may actually be showing true friendship by offering a timely, constructive word. Frankly, God made us to be discerning Right? To make value judgments, to declare certain things as good and certain things as not so good. Uh, The Greek word that's translated judge is uh, krino, krino. It means to make a distinction. Right? Being discriminating can be, of course, a wise thing to do. 1 Corinthians says that the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. There's another meaning of judge translated as something like sitting in a place of superiority to condemn. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus' enemies showed to him. It's the kind of judgment Jesus warns us against. The the kind that devalues another person. That may be the way of the world. It is not the way Of God's kingdom. It is a command not to exclude anyone from the reach of God's love or to see ourselves or our group as inherently superior to another. We may disagree with our neighbors and we may even uh, discern another person or group to be in the wrong, but if that leads us to uh, value our neighbor less, that's when we have moved from discernment into condemnation, judgmentalism. And has there ever been a cultural moment where this sort of judgmental rhetoric has been so prominent? I'll call it maybe the the Twitter effect. It's even become acceptable among some Christians to condemn those who hold different cultural and political beliefs. We're so quick to call them enemies. We're reluctant to love them as neighbors. You know what? It's really hard to love and judge at the same time. Yes, you have to be able to assess people and situations, but you can do that without judging them in the wrong spirit. The judgmental person Jesus is talking about is someone who's a fault finder, someone who sets themselves up as a superior and then kind of picks the lint off someone else's soul. Judge not. Uh, I mean, it's arguably the most difficult thing in the world to accomplish. I I only know how hard it is for me. Or to put it another way, judging someone else is the easiest thing in the world to do. That's because we're all self-righteous. We all tend to see... A fault in others, but not ourselves. I got to tell you, I am possibly dealing with my own greatest temptation today. I see it in small ways, even when I watch American Idol with my wife. I mean, there's a certain kind of judgment that I can say, ooh, that person's a little pitchy. Then there's another kind of judgment where I say, ugh, that guy is a little too heavy around the middle to be wearing that outfit, you know? Or worse, he seems kind of creepy to me. You see the difference, right? And, and, and Jesus gives us good reasons why you should never, ever be judgmental in that way. Reason number one, he says that you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. That's a pretty good reason not to do it. You know, you think of all the ways that we've put that truth into common sayings, like what goes around comes around, uh, or be nice to people on the way up the ladder, because you'll meet them again on the way down, or even borrowing from the words of Jesus found in another passage. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, we know that Jesus gives perfect, moral, theological advice, right? But man, isn't this just good practical advice, relational advice? I mean, doesn't judging always backfire? You start by telling yourself, I'm going to straighten this person out. This person needs to change and I will change them. What ends up happening? They're offended for one. And come on, real change doesn't happen through your judgment anyways. The other pragmatic piece here is that you can actually protect yourself from experiencing the judgmentalism of others just by stopping your finger pointing. I I don't know whether it's more painful to be falsely accused or judged with like pinpoint accuracy. Either way, we don't like it. Reminds me of this comedian, John Mulaney. Because eighth graders will make fun of you, but in an accurate way. They will get to the thing that you don't like about you. They don't even need to look at you for long. They'll just be like, ha, 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 ha. ha. Hey, look at that high-waisted man. He got feminine hips. And I'm like, no, that's the thing I'm sensitive about it's the easiest thing to do to criticize. Fault finding uh, doesn't exactly require a university education. All of us feel qualified to do it too. So if you are judgmental towards others, Jesus says you can expect them to be judgmental towards you. The more gracious you are toward other people, the more gracious they will be towards you. But there's a, there's a deeper reason here. Because the heart behind a judgmental attitude is to actually put yourself in the position to judge. Now, lots of people say, only God can judge me, right? But that means if you start judging, you are usurping God's role. You are claiming the competence and authority to judge other people. And that's God's job. And God happens to take his position of judge quite seriously. And he takes it quite seriously when we try to usurp his position. In other words, God will judge you on the basis of whether or not you measure up to the standard required for judging, which is being sinless, perfect, holy. Anybody feel they can pass that test. Judging others in this way is claiming to know why people make the choices they did. Now, Jesus may know our thoughts, but we don't know others' thoughts. And too often, we presume to. Stop playing God. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't the reason that we judge, partly at least, is, is to put people in their place? Isn't it partly because we resent people who we feel aren't seen by others as they should be seen. Maybe they're too popular and we know why they shouldn't be. Maybe it annoys us that it seems some people are getting away with something without being punished. What makes us feel qualified to do God's job? To step in and make sure that these people are found out, you know? It doesn't seem to bother us that this is God's sole prerogative? We know vengeance belongs to the Lord, but we say, you're too slow, Lord. It's classic, we want mercy for ourselves and we demand justice for others. Listen, if you really want to be like God, how about you start with the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's Christ-likeness in action. So I I guess my question is, do you believe that God is a fair judge, a good judge, a judge wherein you don't have to usurp his authority to make sure he gets it right? Abraham says in Genesis, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I've heard in the last couple of months of court judges caught using the N-word, caught saying, some of the most misogynist things, anti-First Nations comments, judges censured because they had an, a clear agenda that was exposed. Um, in, in the American Supreme Court uh, system, uh, judges are under this new scrutiny because they're being seen as so highly partisan. Listen to me. No one can buy God off. He is, he is no one's better. God cannot be bribed. His justice is always equitable and perfect and absolutely fair. Let God be judge. That that job's been taken. And, And by the way, speaking of taking a job that's not ours, don't take the devil's job either. See, our judgmentalism could more accurately be called accusation. And it's Satan who's really called the accuser of the brothers. Accusing is what he does. So the accusing job has already been taken. We don't need to do the devil's job. Well, then Jesus gives us another great reason not to judge. You've heard this before. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, uh, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? when you can't see past the log in your own. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Like how crazy is it to judge someone else for what you perceive to be their sin and failure and screw up when you've got so many of those in your own life? And if you don't see that you have a log in your eye compared to the speck in theirs, it's probably because the log in your eye is so big it's blinding you. By the way, when Jesus said these things, people were laughing. These were jokes. A little insight into the Middle Eastern humor during the time of Jesus. Uh, They told jokes through exaggeration. There was a New Testament scholar who wrote an entire book called The Humor of Christ, and he cites 30 or more passages that would have been just like laugh-out-loud moments for people listening. Like, um, when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. They would have been like, LOL, that's a good one, Jesus. This dude's all right. And he's like, Oi, I got, you know, a whole routine on camels. Hold on. You know, those religious leaders who are all hyper-legalistic, they strain at gnats and swallow camels." And people have been like, Stop! You're killing me! So here, when he says, Get rid of that two by four in your eye before you worry about the little splinter in someone else's, like, they're cracking up. But but Jesus uses humor, maybe, to make the medicine go down a little easier. He challenges us to remember our own faults, our own failures, before we worry about someone else's. Now, if you just allow me some armchair psychologizing of myself and of you, isn't going after the speck in someone else's eye while I have this log in my own, isn't that a defense mechanism, like a way of protecting myself from pain? What I'm really like by showing what's wrong with you? Misery loves company. If we're in pain, we'll often ease that pain by making them feel as miserable as we do. So we point the finger. What Jesus wants us to see is that we have a worse problem than they do when we point the finger. Fault finding is worse than the fault we think we see in the other. I mean, Jesus calls their issue a speck. He calls our issue a plank, a log. Do you agree with Jesus that our, fault-finding is worse than their fault? Because that's what Jesus is is teaching here. How does that sit with you? Oh man, self-righteousness is the worst. We should actually be so aware of our own shortcomings that we'd be too embarrassed to judge somebody else. I know of someone who had been on a diet lost 60 pounds, really pleased with himself, and rightly so. Except for one problem. He starts getting all judgy as he watched overweight people in a restaurant, started pointing out their bad habits and what they ought to be doing. In fact, you want to hear how this story ended up a year later? Yeah, you guessed it. He put all that weight back on. You know, my blindness to my own log leads me to judge your lack of vision or spirituality. It, it also blinds me to all the graces you have that I don't have, gifts you have that I don't, virtues you have. You excel in areas where I fail. And, and what is it like when you are on the receiving end of this, I'll call it meddling? You know what it's like, right? People have tried to meddle in your life. Do do you love it when someone uninvited gets all up in your beeswax? It's what Job's friends did. They were meddlers. And the meddler shows up and is almost always uninvited. And yet they feel so qualified to meddle. Things are so clear to them. Peter says that if you're going to suffer insult, make sure that it's not because you're a meddler. Jesus, he has a right to judge. Why? He's sinless. There's no speck. There's certainly no log in his eye. He died for us. His blood gives him entry to do what he pleases with us. He he has bought us at a price, 1 Corinthians says. But you and I don't have a warrant from the Holy Spirit to meddle. Why? There's a plank in my eye. It's disqualifying me for meddling. And then Jesus ends this section by saying something really provocative, maybe even a little confusing. This is what he says. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. I don't know if this translates great into 2021. It's some more that 2,000-year-old Palestinian humor. Everyone would have been LOLing, I'm sure. Give, give a dog something sacred. Give a pearl to a pig. You're thinking, this sounds a li- like a, like a non sequitur, like Jesus is changing the subject. But in using this, this figure of speech, Jesus is showing that we actually do need to use wise judgment, not judgmentalism need to use wisdom and discernment. There's a, there's a big difference. He says, he says it here so that we don't take the previous section out of context like some people do. Because sometimes we may actually be right in our judgment about a person, but wrong about how we apply it. So this little metaphor about pigs and dogs it, it is actually a call for godly wisdom. Sometimes wisdom is knowing when not to speak and who not to speak to. I wonder how many of you have experienced deep hurt because you confided in someone who it turns out couldn't wisely handle the information given to them. I mean, let's be honest. There have been times when I shouldn't have been the recipient of sensitive information where you shouldn't have been privy to sensitive information. Times where people would have been wise not to give their pearls to a pig like me. Uh, Jesus had to exercise this principle with his own friends and disciples sometimes. He said in John 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth at least right now. The principle is this, don't waste what is precious. Pearls are precious. Don't give out what is going to be unappreciated. In the times of Jesus, pigs and dogs could be especially nasty. And in the same way that a dog or a pig could turn on you, so can certain people who will react spitefully to what you offer in good faith. Jesus, I think, is talking about two types of people, wicked people and weak people. The Bible makes a a distinction between what they call wolves and fools, evil people and unwise people, both dangerous but for different reasons, and we'll always have them. Some of us were once like that. We may still be like that in some ways, you know, Matthew 7 6 is, is talking about all of us. So when Jesus talks about what is holy, what is sacred, don't give it to dogs. Pearls, deeper truths, deeper meanings, things that can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Let's say, let's say God has given you a special insight. You might call it a word of knowledge, a vision. It seems the Lord has spoken to you. It's a pearl. It's precious. The psalmist says the Lord confides in those who fear him. Sometimes you have to discern the safe people, the spiritual people to share this with instead of people who will diminish it or mock it, right? Sometimes even witnessing can be casting your pearls before swine. What? Sharing truth? Sharing the gospel? What could be wrong with that? It's not that the content is wrong, it's that the context might be wrong. And Jesus discovered that there were certain crowds, certain groups, that just they weren't ready to hear truth. His own hometown wasn't ready for it. Precious things. He had to metaphorically uh, shake the dust off his feet and go to a people ready for it. That's not judgmental. That's discernment, and there's a million examples of using this same discernment in your own life. Pearls and pigs. All right, so how do we, how do we get this right? What does this balance of not being judgmental, but exercising wise judgment actually look like? First of all, I, I think it requires just a ton of humility. You know. The kind of humility that when someone comes pointing the finger at us, maybe we would do something just totally counterintuitive and agree with them. Proverbs says, the gentle answer turns away wrath. Could we be humble enough to recognize that there may even be just a tiny morsel of truth in what they're saying? We might even say something like, I see what you mean. I'll try to do better. Could you imagine the humility it would take to even thank them for bringing this to your attention? But won't that encourage them to keep meddling, you ask? I'll circle back. You are not their judge. You are not the one to straighten them out. What we do need to be known for, though, and this is kind of a lifelong quest to live out both of these words equally, Grace and truth, okay? Grace and truth together. You want to see a great example of grace and truth in action? Read the story in the Gospel of John chapter 4 of the woman at the well. I won't go into all the details of the story. You read it, okay? But suffice to say, Jesus modeled this perfectly as he not only accepted this woman as someone who deeply mattered, Jesus didn't condemn her for her behavior, um, but he didn't condone it either. Grace and truth together. And when they go together, you don't have this spiritual malpractice called judgmentalism. You actually get the spiritual healing that we all long for. If you know the ending of that story after, after this conversation, this woman from the well, she goes running into town and says, you've got to come hear this guy. This guy who knew everything about my life. There was something about Jesus' manner where grace and truth was never offensive. He could say, here's what's going on in your marriage. Here, here's what's going on in your parenting. Here's where you're dropping the ball financially. Here's the areas you are not honoring God with your life. He would talk to people in a way that was so winsome and compelling, so saturated with grace and truth that at the end of their conversation, all people wanted to do was invite him to their parties to introduce him to their friends so that he could give them a little bit of that grace and truth as well. Folks, I I can't speak for every church. I can speak for New Market Alliance. This is the path we're on, friends. It's the grace and truth path. Because of judgmentalism, it's like the world is playing this great big game of hide-and-go-seek. And because many of you have been victims of judgmentalism, you're playing right along. Everybody hide. Because if you come out and are found, if people were to see the real you, you'll be rejected. You'll be condemned. You'll be shamed. And Jesus wanted the church to be this place where a huge collective olly olly and come free. You remember that as a kid or a version of that? It's where you could come out of hiding, come home, Jesus wanted that to be what the church is like, because it's time for all of us to be found, to be real, to come home. That that game of hide and seek needs to end. Around here, we're trying to be a people that just love you as you are, hoping that we'll receive that same kind of acceptance and love in return. We are all coming to Christ broken, in our unique ways, aren't we? There's not a single person who isn't broken. So we don't need judgment. We need grace. We need truth. And when it's handled well, when it's handled right, it's a beautiful thing. Because it's a Jesus thing. Come home. Ah, Jesus, you know I struggle in this. You know the Big C Church is known for this. We don't want to be judgmental. It robs you of your place as the perfect judge, the fair judge, a gracious judge. You are so much more gracious and merciful than we will ever be. So help me, Lord. Help us maybe most of all to see people through your eyes, to see people like you do, mago day created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, to see them as children of God, see them as holy, set apart, see them as righteous because of your shed blood. They have been bought at a price, Lord. May we know what it means to live with grace and truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, we don't know when we'll be able to gather again. It's been hard. I hope it's soon. It is good though, isn't it? To be able to sort of gather virtually, share the same content, hear the same news, see each other in the chats at least. Uh, It's good to participate in a Sunday church service. It's good to engage in an online church service. Don't let that be the full expression of what church is. It's not a building. It's not a service. It's a people. So I'm going to ask you, don't just watch church. Go. Be non-judgmental And be the church. God bless you. You are such a loved people. I hope you know that.